Ecclesiastes chapter number 11 is where we're going to be. And we're starting starting a brand new collection of messages today that we're calling Seed the Clouds. And in this series, we're going to be talking about how to make investments that really matter in eternity. How we can sow the right seeds today so that we can reap the harvest that God wants for us tomorrow. And so we're going to be looking today at Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. In verse number one is where we're going to start. And if you're ready to dive into God's word today, would you say amen? The Bible says this. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject. Go set ready. Go set ready. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for the first two services that we had today and just the opportunity to worship you throughout this morning. God, thank you for all of our blessings. God, thank you for the good work that you're doing in our church and in your hand of favor that we've seen with people accepting you as their savior. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in a way that gives you the glory. Lord, I pray that we would step out of the way and surrender our hearts and hands to do whatever it is that you would have us do. Lord, I pray that as we look to this chapter today, that we would be encouraged in our time together. Lord, I pray that we'd be challenged. I pray that we would understand what it means to seed the clouds, what it means to step out by faith and sow uh, the right seeds today so that you can pour out your blessing upon our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us in a great way. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said today. I grew up in church, and that meant that every Wednesday night, I would go to youth group. And at youth group, we would always play a lot of games. We would have a lot of races and do different things. And sometimes we would play some games at youth group that would be a little bit uh, crazy. They'd be a little bit even gross sometimes. I remember one particular race that we would do in youth group is the youth pastor would have everybody come together. He'd pick two people, and they would have to take their sock off and put it over a can of soda and then drink that can of soda through the sock. How many of you would say that would be a disgusting game? Well, that wasn't even the worst part. The worst part was sometimes the youth pastor would have them switch and you had to drink out of your friend's sock, drink that soda. It was a gross game and I'm glad I never had to participate. But you know, there's always some junior hires that are like, I'll do it, no problem. You know, they were just ready uh, to play in that race. And uh, my kids, they like to race. And uh, Luke, Liv, and Blakely, it doesn't matter what we're doing, everything turns into a race. It doesn't matter if we're checking the mail, they want to race. It doesn't matter if we're just walking to the car, they want to race. And they're always going to make sure that they get a head start in that race, right? Luke will say, Dad, do you want to race? And I'll say, sure. And he says, okay, go. And then he just takes off running, and I have to try to catch up to him and, uh, and still defeat him in that race to show him who's in charge. But uh, they always want to they always want a race. And typically, the cadence for a normal race is ready, set, 
go. We want to make sure that we're ready and that we're set, and then we'll go. But you know, when it comes to a life of faith, I believe that God changes that cadence. When it comes to the race of life, God changes the sequence, and it's not ready, set, go. It's go, set, ready. Now, that might sound a little awkward. It might sound a little clunky, but sometimes uh, we have to recognize that that is exactly how faith works, that, that faith is taking that step. Faith is going even when we can't see how it's going to work out. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. And the reality is a lot of times we can excuse ourselves and not go and not take that step because we're constantly just waiting to see how everything will work out. But the, the, the truth is today that if you spend your life waiting and you're just waiting for things to all work out perfectly, you might end up waiting your whole life before you take that next step. Because the truth is today, you might not ever feel ready to go and share your faith with your neighbor. You might not ever feel ready to get baptized. Uh, you might not ever feel ready to start uh, giving sacrificially to the Lord. You might not ever feel ready to take that next step. And so faith says, I'm going to take that step, even when I can't see how it's always going to work out. Now, we come to Ecclesiastes, and Solomon, in all of his wisdom, he is trying to ascertain and to discover the meaning of life. How many of you have ever pondered the meaning of life? Anybody like that? And so many people in our world today, in our culture, they're searching for purpose, that they want to know, what's my purpose in life? What's the meaning of life? And this is the question that Solomon is asking and answering in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he comes here to Ecclesiastes chapter number 11, and he is going to uh, talk about this idea of faith, that we can't just sit back and always just wait till everything is perfect, but we have to step out by faith in our calling that God has for us. Notice how he words it in verse number four, and I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready today. But notice verse number four, he says this, he that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. And so Solomon says, if you're just going to take a step back in life, and you're just going to constantly look at the wind and constantly watch the clouds, then you're never going to sow. You're never going to reap. Eventually, you have to take action. We can't just wait in life till all the conditions are perfect before we serve God. Maybe someday when I'll get a raise and I make this much money, then I'll start uh, being involved. And maybe when I have more time, and then I'll be involved. And maybe, uh, may maybe when my kids are older, then I can get involved. And then I can serve. And then I can do what God wants me to do. Solomon says, hey, at some point, you've got to take a step. At some point, you've got to stop just watching the clouds and start sowing and start fulfilling the call that God has for you. Now, in, in the 1940s, there was this experiment that took place. Uh, there was an unusual partnership that was born between uh, General Electric, GE, and the United States Air Force. And they, they came together and they wanted to come up with they wanted to come up with this idea and see if they could solve this problem. And this technological advancement that they were working on was the idea of cloud seeding. And they wanted to see if they could manufacture the weather, if they could seed the clouds and put some chemicals in the clouds and cause it to rain or to snow. And so GE and uh, the Air Force, they got together and they started working on this. There was two men that were primarily involved uh, in this project. One, one man's name was <clears throat> Irving Langmuir, and the other man's name was Vincent Schaefer. They kind of headed up this project. The first thing that they did was they got an old GE freezer, and they set the temperature to below freezing, and they breathed into that freezer, causing a little cloud to form. And then they started to add in chemicals and components, trying to get that little cloud to crystallize, trying to get some sort of reaction, but nothing worked. And uh, they couldn't get it to work until eventually one day, Vincent Schaefer decided to add some dry ice uh, to this little cloud. 
And when he added dry ice to the cloud, it crystallized almost instantly. It had this reaction, which caused them to be very excited. And so what they did was, when the weather cooled down and a couple months had passed, they, did, they rented an airplane a small airplane. They flew it, flew it up into the sky. They flew it right into a cloud. They brought with them six pounds of crushed dry ice. They released that dry ice into the cloud, and uh, spectators on the ground say that it seemed to explode. And so much snow came down from that cloud that people say that they could see it from 40 miles away. This was the headline that day. The headline was, Schaefer made it snow this afternoon in Pittsfield. Next week, he walks on water. There was this breakthrough that took place. They decided to take action, and they were able to seed the clouds. And here's the concept. Here's the heart of this series that we're going to be studying over the next couple of weeks. I believe that all of us in the room today have a choice to make, have a decision to make. Will we sit back, and like Solomon says in verse number four, will we observe the clouds? One day I'll serve. One day I'll give. One day I'll be involved. Or will we start seeding the clouds? I'm going to get involved. I'm going to start sowing some seeds. I'm going to sow uh, the seeds that God wants me to sow. This is what it looks like to step out by faith and to live for God's glory. And so what I want to do today is I want to give us a few ways that we can do this. I want to make this very practical for us today. How can we seed the clouds? How can we sow in a way that's pleasing to the Lord? Is anybody interested in sowing in a way that's pleasing to the Lord? Are you interested in that concept today? So, so Solomon's going to give us a couple of things here that I believe are worthy of jotting down. Number one, I believe that we are to sow generously. Sow generously. Okay, let's pick it up in verse number one. The Bible says this, cast. Everybody say cast. Cast. Yeah. Cast thy bread upon the waters. Now, this phrase, cast thy bread, this was a phrase and a reference to the grain trading industry that took place uh, via ships and boats in ancient culture. Uh, this is something that Israel would have been very well acquainted with. It was a common phrase referred to investing. What Israel would do is they would take their grain, they would take their goods, they would put it on ships, they would send them out in hopes to get a return. This is something that Solomon, who's writing this book, this is something that he did often. In fact, we know this in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse number 22. We learn about one of these, uh, one of these investments that was made. 1 Kings 10, 22. For the king had at sea a navy of Tharshish with the navy of Haram. Once in three years came the navy of Tharshish, bringing gold. Here was, the, here was the return on the investment. Bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks which I don't know about you, but that interests me. Like, I want to know what kind of investment I can make that I can get some peacocks in return. Like, that sounds pretty awesome. What stock is that? What's the ticker on E-Trade or on Robinhood, right? And so they get back uh, uh, peacocks. This was the idea of making an investment. They would cast their bread upon the waters, and then they would hope to get a return uh, on their investment. What Solomon is saying is that we should be generous with our resources, that we should cast our bread upon the waters and pray and trust that God will bring a return on that investment, that we should not hoard what God has given us and be stingy with the things that we have in life, but that we should live our lives to give our lives. And here is a secret from Solomon, who's the wisest person to ever live other than Jesus, in all of his wisdom, he says, here is the secret to a meaningful life. Are you interested? The secret to a meaningful life is generosity. What did Jesus say? It is more blessed to give 
than to receive. And so he's saying to cast your bread upon the waters. The cast in the Hebrew, the word is shalak. It means radical abandonment. It means we're not going to hold on to a little bit. We're going to give, we're going to live open-handed. Whatever God wants, he can have. Uh, the other day, I was with my daughter Liv, and we were eating In-N-Out, and my daughter Liv, she loves French fries, and she particularly loves In-N-Out French fries because I am training her and training up a child in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it, and so I'm training Liv, you know, and we go to In-N-Out, and she likes to eat In-N-Out fries, and I asked her, Liv, can I have a French fry? And I could tell she didn't want to give me one. It was going to be a struggle, like, ah. And I said, Liv, can I have a French fry? And she took a French fry, and she was looking at that French fry, and she tore off the smallest little piece imaginable. And she gave me that small piece. And I was thinking, Liv, I am your father. I bought you those French fries. I can buy you as many French fries as you want. I can pour out a window of blessing upon your life and give you French fries all of the days of your life. And you're going to give me one little sliver of a French fry? And I thought about that, and I thought, I wonder if that's how we treat God. That when God requires of us to be stewards, that, that we, didn't, we, we are not the owners of what we have. We are simply the managers, the stewards of what God has given us. And when God asks us to be faithful with our resources and to be a good steward of the resources that he's blessed us with, I wonder if often we are just holding on to whatever we can hold on to, and God can have a little sliver of my time. He can have a little sliver of my finances. He can have a little bit, a sliver of my energy. And what Solomon is saying is don't live your life that way. Live your life to give your life. Cast your bread upon the waters. Live generously. But then he goes on in verse number one. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Now, I love that second part of that verse. You cast your bread upon the waters, you make the investment, you will find it after many days. In other words, here's the process of generosity. You make the investment, God makes the increase. You make the investment, God multiplies the increase. We would like it, if we're being honest, we would like it to work opposite of that. We would like God to bring the increase and then we'll make an investment. If God were to give me a promotion, if God were to give me a raise, if God were to give me more time, then I'd be able to serve, then I'd be able to give. But that's not the process of faith. We make the investment. God brings the increase. He says, after many days, you will find it. Now, I think it's important to note many days. Did you notice that in verse number one? After many days, you'll find it. Now, that's frustrating because we want to make the investment and we want an increase right away. But this speaks to patience, and we want God to move at the speed of light, but God often moves at the speed of a seed because he is requiring of us to be patient and to wait on his timing and to trust in his timing for our lives. And so uh, there is going to be a return on the investment. Charles Spurgeon said this, in all of my years of service to my Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. Does anybody believe today that it is impossible to outgive God? If you are faithful in your time, if you are faithful in your talent and faithful with your treasure, then God will be faithful and he will honor you. And Malachi 3.10 says, prove me now herewith. Trust God with a tithe. Uh, put him to the test. Prove me. If you don't believe God, he says, hey, put me to the test and see if I will not open a window of blessing upon your life. And so uh, we cannot outgive God. Cast your bread upon the waters. What is he saying? 
Make an investment. Make an investment into eternity, into what will matter for all of eternity, people. And then he says this in verse number two. Everybody still with me? He says in verse two, give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. So what does he mean there? So we're to cast our bread upon the waters, but then he says, make sure that you're going to go to seven, a portion of seven or eight. And here again, he's referencing the shipping industry and he's saying, don't just put all your investment, don't cast your bread upon the waters with one ship. That wouldn't be very wise. It wouldn't be very wise to do two ships. What if that one ship got lost at sea? What if the second ship was invaded by pirates? Everybody stole your grain. You're not going to make a return on that investment. So what is he saying? He's saying diversify your funds. Just like an investor today might encourage you to diversify your portfolio and have a 401k and have real estate or have some stocks. What he's saying here is diversify your investment, send it out on seven or eight ships. And so here's the truth. This is a step of faith, but it's not a step of foolishness. You can be wise with this investment. He's saying be wise in making this investment that you're gonna cast your bread upon the waters. It's been said that a ship in the harbor is safe but that is not what ships are built for, to cast your bread upon the waters. Here's what I believe. I believe that December 11th, when we have our Heart for the House offering, I believe this is an opportunity for us as a church to cast our bread upon the waters, to say, you know what, we wanna make an investment in eternity, we wanna make an investment in this local church and ask and pray that God will multiply the increase. We're gonna cast our bread upon the waters and have a sacrificial offering that will honor the Lord. And so we can sow generously, but then Solomon's gonna go on and he's gonna lead us to the second thought today, and number two is this, sow actively. So we want to sow generously. We want to be stingy with what we have. We want to live open-handed. But then we're going to sow actively. Now, let's pick it up in verse number three. He says, If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. That is a statement of predictability. If you go outside today and you see some clouds and they look dark and there's a lot of them, chances are it's going to rain. That is a statement of predictability. Notice verse 3 again. He says, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. That was a statement of unpredictability. And so what he's saying is, if a tree falls in the forest, is it going to fall to the south or to the north? I don't know. We don't know. Uh, this is speaking of something that is unpredictable. And so here's what Solomon is saying in verse number three. Life is predictably unpredictable. There's going to be some things in life that we aren't sure about what's going to happen. There's going to be some uncertainties in life. There's going to be some things that we just don't know. Now, notice verse number four. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. And so he says, even in the uncertainties of life, if we're just going to constantly kind of look at the clouds and try to predict the weather, then we're never going to sow, and therefore we're never going to reap. And so he's saying, you can't just constantly check the weather in life spiritually. Uh, how many of you like to check the weather just on your phone and you like to know what's coming, what's coming up? How many of you are like that? I want to see if it's going to rain. I want to see if it's going to snow. I want to see if it's going to, you know, what the weather's going to be. And I learned recently, I don't know if this is true. Uh, Daniel and Julie, they, they told me this. And they said that when you look at the weather app and you see a percentage of rain, they said that's not speaking of the chances of likelihood that it's going to rain. It's actually talking about the area in which the rain will cover in that city. Now, I don't know if that to be true. That's not in the Bible, but you can take that for what it's worth. And he believes it. And a lot of times we can want to check the weather and know the weather, weather. But Solomon is saying this. 
You can't do that spiritually. You can't just constantly wait for the right conditions before you take a step of faith. If a farmer is constantly going to watch the weather and wait and wait for the perfect conditions, he's never going to plant anything. Eventually, observation must lead to action. And so he says in verse number three that life is predictably unpredictable. We're not going to know things, but you can't just sit back and just observe and just watch. In fact, he goes on to verse number five and he says this, as thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her child, or of her that is with child. He says, uh, there are some things in life that we just can't know, just like how a baby's bones are formed in the mother's womb. This is a miracle. This is miraculous. We can't fully comprehend in our finite minds how some of these things work. And then he says at the end of verse number five, even so, thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. We don't know. We don't always know how God is working. And God is, by the way, God is always working. Do you believe that? That, that he is always working behind the scenes. We don't always know how he's working, but he is always working. But there's times in life when we get frustrated because we don't know how things are going to turn out. We don't have everything figured out. There are certain things we don't know how they work. Uh, my wife, Katie, she always gets confused and she always asks me. She wants to know one of the, the complexities of life for her is she doesn't know how Wi-Fi works. And she always wants to ask me, how does Wi-Fi work? And I'll try to do my best to explain it. And she always says, but where is it? Like, where is the Wi-Fi? You know, she's, she's wanting to know. That's something that really is dumbfounding to her. How does the Wi-Fi work? Sometimes in life, sometimes in life, we can be frustrated because we don't know how a step is going to turn out. If I commit my time, if I commit my talent, if I commit my treasure, if I take a step of faith, I don't know how it's going to turn out. And since I don't have everything figured out, I won't take that step of faith. Since all my questions aren't answered, then I won't take that step of faith. Here's the problem with that. Because the moment that you have everything figured out is the same moment that you factored God out. Because if you have everything figured out in life and you have all the answers, then my friend, you don't need faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we can allow often the uncertainties of life lead us to inactivity. You know, I love what the blind man says in John chapter number nine. The blind man said this, and he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, this is a man that was born blind, but Jesus healed him. He said, I know not. But one thing I do know that whereas I was blind... Now I see. I love this response. He says, you know what? I don't have all the, the questions answered. I don't have everything figured out in life. But here's one thing I know with a certainty that I was blind and now I can see. And there ought to be some followers of Jesus today that would say, I don't have every question answered. I don't have everything figured out. But I know this. My God is in control. I know this. My God loves me and has a plan for my life. And he is still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hey, don't let what you don't know deter you from what you do know. And we do know that our God reigns supreme. The blind man said, I don't have everything figured out. You want to come to me with all your questions? I'm okay with saying, I don't know. But here's what I know. I can see. I can see. And Solomon says, don't let the uncertainties of life and things that are unpredictable, the things that cause some doubt or hesitation in your life, keep you from taking that step of faith in your life. In fact, notice what he says in verse number six. I love the transition between verse five and six. He says this. Notice the end of verse five. Everybody with me? He says, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. So you don't know. Everybody say, I don't know. There's certain things like, I don't know. Verse number six. In the morning, sow thy seed. 
So I love this transition. There are certain things in life that we don't know. There are certain things in life that we can't figure out. But guess what? Tomorrow morning, you better set an alarm, get up, and sow your seed. You still got to get to work. You, you cannot allow uncertainties to lead to inactivity. You have to still step out by faith and start seeding the clouds and doing the things that God wants you to do. Uh, my watch. How many of you have an Apple watch? Anybody like that? How about a smart watch? You have a smart, any sort of smart watch? My watch will tell me every once in a while. It'll just notify me and say, it's time to stand up. How many of you ever got that notification before? And that notification used to bother me. Like, like stop, first of all, telling me what to do. <laughs> Second of all, I don't need a reminder to stand up, Quentin. I just, I don't need that reminder. Like, I know when I need to stand up. So it used to kind of bother me. But then I realized, I read recently, that there's actually a real problem in America, in our culture, of inactivity, where people will not move and they'll sit and stay stationary all day, where medical professionals recently have deemed a new term, a new disease called sitting disease where we just kind of sit around and do nothing. And here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that there are many followers of Jesus that are suffering from sitting disease, where we are characterized and identified by our inactivity. We are comfortable sitting on the sidelines and just expecting and waiting. And we're going to watch the clouds and we're going to see what happens. Solomon says, this is not a life of faith. And so he says, get up, sow your seed. James 2, verse number 14 says this, what did the prophet, my brethren, Though a man say that he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? In other words, if it's just more, if it's just something that you say, but you're not really living, or a sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body. And so if someone comes into the church, they don't have any food, they don't have any clothes, they don't have any water, and you say to them, bless your heart, depart in peace, have a good day. Notwithstanding, you don't give them those things that are needful to the body. He said, what did the prophet? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. And so in other words, there's a difference between being aware of the problem and being active in the process. A lot of times we can be aware of the problem. How many of you have ever noticed a problem in our culture over the last couple of months? Anybody like that? We can be aware of the problem. Just turn on the news, listen to a podcast. We can be aware of the problem. But the question is, are we active in the progress? Are, are, we, are we doing anything to make a difference? Are we stepping out by faith? This is what Solomon is saying. Get up in the morning and sow thy seed. Start seeding the clouds. Move to activity. So we see we, we, we sow generously. And then we sow actively. But here's a third thought. You ready for number three today? Anybody else ready for number three? We sow joyfully. We sow joyfully. Notice what the Bible says in verse seven. Truly, the light is sweet. Now, light is a reference to life. It's really what he's saying in this verse is, hey, we can enjoy life. Truly, life is sweet. He says, truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. Now, certainly he's not advocating go and stare in the sun. That's going to burn your eyeballs. Okay. He's not saying just look in the sun. But what he's saying is every time the sun rises, it's a new opportunity. It's a new day that we can celebrate and we can rejoice in the goodness of God like we sang about this morning. So he says, truly light is a sweet thing. And, and then the rising of the sun is, is pleasant. Here he's talking about the fact that this life of generosity, this life of seeding the clouds, it's not a life to be endured. It's a life to be enjoyed. 
sometimes we think, man, I'm just trying to get through the week, and I just got to just, I, I guess I better give because, you know, you know, I'm supposed to, and I guess I better kind of give my time because I kind of feel obligated to. This is not the life that God has called us to. We, we give generously, and we give cheerfully and joyfully. And I think it's interesting in my life, I don't know about you, but whenever I start reading or studying or preparing to talk about the subject of joy, it seems like that's when the enemy, the devil wants to attack my joy the most. And I believe it's because he knows how valuable and how important a life of joy is. If the devil can steal your joy, he can slow your progress. He can stall you out. And so the devil wants nothing more than to attack your joy. Did you know that one of the hallmark characteristics of Christians, even all the way back to the first century, has always been joy? You can feed Christians to the lions. You can martyr them. You can kill them. And guess what? They're still going to be smiling and believing that God is good because joy is not linked to our circumstances. Joy is linked to our Savior. Joy is linked to Jesus. And Solomon says, hey, this life of sowing generously, the happiest people that I know are the people that live their lives to give their lives. I just want to be generous. I just want to give. And Solomon here is saying, uh, truly, the light is sweet. He's talking about this joy that we can experience. Let's keep reading. Verse number eight, he says, but if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness. And so Solomon's very honest. I I love the book of Ecclesiastes for many reasons. It's a great book to study. Um, for many reasons. But Solomon here is very honest and he's very real. He's not going to sugarcoat anything. He says, yes, life is sweet. You can enjoy it. But there's also going to be some dark days. There's also going to be darkness. There's going to be difficulty. This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity message that you give your life to Christ. You're never going to have any problems. You're just going to get rich and everything's going to be easy street. No. Solomon says, yes, life can be enjoyed, but that doesn't mean there's going to be, there's going to be no dark days. But even in those dark days, what Solomon is saying is we can still have joy. Even in the difficulties, we can still have joy. I like what Matthew Henry says about the joy of the Lord. He says, the joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies. Think about that. Joy is your armor. And and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. In other words, when you have the joy of the Lord... Those things that look so appetizing in the world, they're not appealing to you because you have something far better. I don't need to give in to this temptation. I don't need to give in to these hooks that are out in the world because I have the joy of the Lord. That's my strength. That's my armor. Verse 9, rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. You know, we are commanded as followers of Jesus to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. When did Paul write that? From prison. When when he was having a dark day. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice here in verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. And let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. And walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. And so in other words, this is not an... Solomon is not advocating for hedonism. If anyone had a good argument against hedonism, it was Solomon. Solomon said, I tried it all. I built whatever I wanted to build. I slept with whoever I wanted to sleep with. I had as much money as I ever could accumulate. And he said, life is meaningless. None of it mattered. So he's not advocating for hedonism. He's saying, your joy better be filtered through God's judgment. Verse number nine. So so it's not just, hey, do whatever you want. Live it up. YOLO, you only live once. No. 
judgment. But then he says this in verse 10. Therefore, now whenever you see a therefore, you got to see what it's there for. Therefore, remove sorrow from thine heart and put away evil from thy flesh. In other words, take care of your body physically. For childhood and youth are vanity. He says life is short. Remove sorrow. I, I love this instruction. Remove sorrow. Smile. Live with joy. I like what Billy Sunday said. The revivalist preacher, the baseball player that turned into a preacher, Billy Sunday. He said, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. I wonder today, if you're lacking joy, where's the leak? Why are you not evidencing that joy that God promises to give us that we're called to live in? But I don't know about you, but verse number 9 and 10, they almost seem paradoxical to me. Let's look at it. Everybody with me today? Let's look at verse 9 and 10 for a second. Do you have a Bible? Notice the end of verse 9. He says that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. Everybody say judgment. That is sobering, is it not? The judgment of God. That should sober us up real quick. It's almost a little scary. The judgment of God. But then, notice the very next verse, verse number 10. Therefore, remove sorrow. It almost seems paradoxical. Like judgment is coming, but guess what? Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Remove sorrow. You can have joy. How is this possible? What does Solomon know that we need to know? How can you have joy in light of judgment? Judgment is coming, therefore remove sorrow. Smile. I believe here, everybody with me? I believe that Solomon is pointing us ahead to a greater king. I believe he's pointing us ahead to Jesus because the only way possible to experience joy in light of God's judgment is through the person of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that we can smile. It's the only way that we can have true joy in light of judgment is knowing the person of Jesus. This past week, I met an individual and I was with my wife, Katie, and I was with my daughter, Liv, and I was having a conversation with someone in the community and they're not from our church and I didn't really know much about their background, but they found out that I was a pastor and so we started having this discussion and she was asking me some questions about end times theology and and I could tell that she had some interesting views, but she was kind of projecting onto me her views and asking questions. And she was talking about judgment. She was looking at me saying, you need to listen to this warning. Judgment is coming. And I was like, okay, nice to meet you. You know, like, all right, judgment is coming. And then she started getting real specific with her predictions about judgment. And she said, judgment is coming for California. She said, judgment is coming by way of a flood. Judgment is going to come by way of water for California. And I'm listening. I'm looking over at my daughter, Liv, and her eyes are real big. Like, Dad, is this true? Like, are, is this going to happen? And she's like, what? And she was very fearful. And she was serious. And she was saying, I'm warning you. Judgment. Judgment. And I listened to her. And when she was done, I smiled and I said, you know, judgment is coming. But this is what I believe that I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. 
And because I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful today that when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, he took my sins and he removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. And when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the righteousness of God, which has been placed on my account. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. So we can have joy today. We can know that our eternity is secured in a wonderful place called heaven. Now today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, then verse number nine should be a very sobering verse. Because the reality is, is that all men were appointed once to die. And after this, the judgment. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, for the wages, the payment of sin is death. And that's more than just a physical death. That's eternal separation from a holy God. The payment of our sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does anybody believe that today at the 1130 service? Eternal life is not about what we bring to the table. It's not about how great of a person that we can be in our good works. Because the reality is, is we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. The only way that we can truly be saved and know that we have escaped judgment and have a home in heaven forever is by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. For by grace are you saved saved from the wrath to come. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Now today, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, I would encourage you to listen into Solomon's words and to determine today, I'm gonna seed the clouds. I'm gonna sow generously, I'm gonna sow actively, I'm gonna sow joyfully. I'm not just gonna sit back and observe and end up waiting and watching and consequently wasting my life. I'm gonna step out by faith and I'm gonna trust God to bring the increase. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today as we close.